This might be one of my favorite stories. I don't know how it'll react. It's a, it's a good kind of happy story. If you enjoy it, make sure you have a like down below. And if you haven't yet, please do subscribe and I'll add some more of these type of uh, stories. So essentially PETA might be the worst organization on the planet. Most people know that. Their advertising tactics, what they do to animals are both terrible. And I'm gonna show you statistically some evidence to back that up in case you're unaware of just how evil PETA is, except this time they tried to go after a family owned seafood restaurant and PETA suffered instant regret because they didn't back down. They fought back and they humiliated them on the world stage. Family owned seafood restaurant makes PETA regret that it ever protested it. It all started when a bill with a billboard that PETA decided to put up next to a family-owned seafood restaurant in Baltimore. The, quote, animal rights group had apparently been using billboards to protest Jimmy's famous seafood in Baltimore for a little while. That family, the family that owns the restaurant, had seemingly had enough and decided that it was going to troll the trolls. When PETA probably didn't, what PETA probably didn't anticipate was how good at counter-trolling the restaurant would be. Jimmy first announced that he would begin the counterattack against the group in late February, announcing "We're coming" over an ex uh, over an exploding <laughs> over an exploding pita board. I got it, billboard. The activist group responded to the restaurant, telling him that his response they wanted for the, was for the restaurant to finally see fish and crabs for complex living, feeling beings they are. Look, you want to not eat meat? That's cool. Uh, you want to not eat, you know, crabs and fish and all that? Also, totally cool. Uh, you know, been with a vegetarian for 21 years. Uh, but when you start telling other people what to do, uh, that's where I have a problem. So, of course, you see the tweet here. Fast forward to Thursday, and the response from Jimmy's has finally been revealed with the billboards of their own. The two billboards side by side show a crab on one and a crab cake on the other. They died to be enjoyed, reads the first it's a, it would be a sin to waste them, reads the second. You see this, they died to be enjoyed. It would be a sin to waste them holding up a crab. You see, included in the a picture in billboards is a woman holding a crab up. As Jimmy says in the tweet, this is just the beginning. As promised, our response to PETA's latest billboard stunt a few blocks from our family-owned restaurant. This is only phase one. Phase two will hit much closer to home, tweeted the restaurant. You can see this tweet. Um, you know, uh, here, uh, yesterday, it's unclear what quote closer to home means in the situation, but I'm willing to bet that Jimmy's is either about to set up a billboard near PETA HQ, or they're about to expose PETA for the absolute hypocrites and nutcases they are. Either way, America is here for it. What Jimmy's doing is showing people how to handle radical activists, give no apology, show no guilt, and be brutally hilarious in your response. Radical activists find their true power in cowardice and compliance of their victims. When you don't give anything, they look foolish and weak. And this is an article from Red State by Brandon Morse. Shout out to Brandon. The, the, uh, the great thing about all of this is just how terrible PETA is. And this viral story gives me an opportunity to enlighten or discuss just how terrible they are. Now, this is in a, a report from just the middle of last year, less than a year ago, where PETA had attempted, terribly so, 
to defend their extraordinarily high, much higher than anybody else's euthanasia rates. And they tried to explain executives, but let me just show you how PETA treats animals. The red line is how many of animals in PETA's care get put down versus literally everyone else. Norfolk SPCA, VA, Virginia Beach animal, you know, this is obviously must be in the state. So PETA um, puts down nearly 70% of animals in its care. Displayed graphically, the percentage of unclaimed dogs that PETA uh, puts down is much higher than the percentage of unclaimed dogs of any other shelter probably ever. Okay. Like received 800. And th I want you to think about this when you, when, when you, when you think about PETA. Okay. PETA received 831 dogs. Four of which were reclaimed by the owner netting 827. They adopted just 17 of those dogs. 64.2% of PETA's dogs were put down. 64%. Instead of taking care of these dogs or doing better to rehome them or doing better to uh, retrain them if they are maybe aggressive or something like that, they do billboard stunts. That's what PETA does with all the millions of dollars that they get out of Hollywood weirdos. If you look at, you know, let's say Norfolk SPCA, which took in about the same number, 799 compared to PETA's 831, right? Two of which reclaimed by owners, leaving them with 797. They adopted 715 of them. 715 out of 797 dogs received by the Norfolk SPCA were adopted. Of the 827 received by PETA, just 30 more, only 17 of them were adopted out to a new home. The remaining were removed from this planet. And the idea that PETA, so if you look at this article, in an interview posted to YouTube on January 6th, 2022, Ingrid Newkirk, founder of animal rights group PETA, discussed several subjects, including claims made in 2004 by comedy team Penn and Teller that PETA ends cats and dogs, which they do. Miss Newkirk described that Penn and Teller claims cheap and misinformed. We've reported in the past, see example here, on the statistics compiled by Virginia's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services showing PETA's shelter in Norfolk, Virginia, has an extremely high rate of euthanasia when compared to any shelters operating in the very same state. According to Ms. Newkirk, PETA's shelter is an open admission shelter that takes in animals that are on their, quote, last legs. The dregs, if you will, she referred to these dogs, that have doors slammed shut on them in other places. The implication is that the reason for the high rate of euthanasia uh, stated that... Uh, uh, that's the implication, that that's the reason for it. Miss Newkirk said that PETA would never euthanize a healthy, a healthy animal. So they're saying that 700 out of 734 of them, or 650 out of 734 of them, were on their last leg. But none of these other shelters have that kind of rate anywhere near that rate. Now, animal services... Uh, probably are as a little different. That's like strays and you know stuff like that's actually pretty high too, twenty seven percent. But regardless, it's still less than half of what uh, PETA does. 
for ethical treatment of animals, by the way. Ms. Newkirk's interview came on the heels of an event recently sponsored by PETA called the Poochella Event, which PETA described as a multi-shelter adoption event designed to help Virginia dogs find loving homes. According to PETA, their shelters, presumably PETA and four other local animal shelters that participate in the event, are bursting at the seams with wonderful dogs who would love great companions. Given its history of euthanizing the vast majority of dogs, that it receives the assertion that PETA is, a, is quote, bursting at the seams with dogs to be adopted, uh, struck us as questionable. So we decided to look at the reported data, and it is shocking. So uh, I stand a thousand percent with uh, this family-owned business. Uh, wait, let me give them a shout-out. If I'm ever in the area, I'm going to check out Jimmy's Famous Seafood in the Chesapeake Bay area. Uh, I see we have 136,000 views. Only 900 likes, though. Like... You see PETA raised another billboard one block from Jimmy's. Prepare for our response. Oh, that was the initial response. Okay. Or that was the um that was the initial post. Here's the response post, which I'm hoping did a little bit better. Yes, 3,500 likes. And then they're selling people eating tasty animal shirts and all sorts of stuff like that. Absolutely love to see it. Good on them. Family-owned business crushing uh PETA. Some very interesting news coming out of Disney as they make a stunning admission that basically every customer has been feeling for a long time about the company. But on top of that, a lot of shuffling around with Marvel and a lot of panic around the company's financial viability after, well, less than stellar results from old Marvel tent poles that used to make hundreds of millions of dollars are now either losing money or barely breaking even. Movies like Ant-Man, uh, most recently, everything we're hearing about the Marvels with Brie Larson is not drawing enough attention. They moved it back four, five, six, seven times. The Star Wars, the expensive Star Wars experience where it was like 20K for a weekend, absolute failure. Everything's crumbling down. And that's because, well, I guess the people with the money, they were told to stay away. Disney's CEO, Bob Iger, admits theme park pricing was too aggressive after ripoff complaints, including flop new Star Wars hotel that charges 20K for voyage on, on fake spaceship. And there's all sorts of other things too. This article this morning, I'm never taking my family to Disney World for spring break again. Here's why we're totally over it. Disney World cutting back bookings at its $5,000 Star Wars hotel. Bob Iger says we're open-minded about ESPN's future. And then CEO Bob Iger says it's time for newness from Marvel movies. Yikes. It's across-the-board bad news. Disney CEO Bob Iger admitted that the theme park was too aggressive in its many recent price hikes shortly after the price cuts on its $20,000 two-night stay Star Wars-themed hotel when bookings completely dried up. During remarks... At the Morgan Stanley Technology Media Telecom Conference Thursday, Iger said that Disney made the grave mistake of putting profits first in recent years, leaving even its most zealous fans disenchanted with the happiest place on earth. Iger said, I always believed that Disney was a brand that needs to be accessible. 
I think our zeal to grow profits, we may have been a little too aggressive about some of our pricing. And I think the way to continue is to grow our business and be smarter about how we price and maintain the brand value and accessibility. Some of those ripoffs included the park's top access tickets being hiked to $244 per person for a single day pass, a ticket which just in 2017 cost just $124, more than nearly double, I should say, nearly double the cost in just a few years. Iger, who previously retired, we know on Thursday, he made the focus that he was going to be cost-cutting measures at Disney to make it more affordable to customers and announce a plan to reorganize the company and find $5 billion in savings. Part of that plan is cutting 7,000 jobs. Iger said Disney was too focused on profit uh, and it undermines the brand and so many of its devoted fans. One of the things we had to do was improve guest experience by reducing crowding, he said. So they thought the best way to do that was rip everyone off. It's tempting to let more people in, but if the guest satisfaction levels are going down because crowding, then it doesn't work. We have to figure out how to reduce crowding, but to maintain our profitability. Well, you add more results, you add more things for people to see and do so people aren't all waiting for the same thing. I mean, that's probably part of it. Iger said not everything has been priced too high. On the contrary, Disney's streaming platform was started out far too, too low of a price. When Disney Plus kicked off in 2019, they were charged $6.99 a month, but the platform now charges $10.99 for its advertisement-free subscription after it started hemorrhaging billions of dollars and contributed to tanking Disney's stock prices. Iger also said Disney may have harmed its Star Wars and Marvel brands by making too many movies. He said going forward, those films and shows would be cl much closer scrutinized. Marvel has 7,000 characters. There's a lot more stories to tell. Uh, what we have to look at Marvel is not necessarily the volume of Marvel storytelling, but how many times do we go back to the well on certain characters? What does that tell you? People are over Marvel, over it. Sequels typically work out well for us, but do you need a third and fourth installment, for instance? Well, he's clearly referencing Ant-Man, which was a financial disaster for Disney. Or is it time to turn to other characters? His comments come after Disney rearranged its schedule of its billion-dollar Star Wars-themed hotel due to low demand. The hotel, which opened back in March of 2022 in the Orlando area to much fanfare, Sold out voyages charges guests anywhere between five and twenty thousand dollars for an immersive two night experience. That's ten grand a night. They are thrust into a story taking place in a galaxy far away. The booking portal for Star Wars Galactic Star, Star Cruiser, Cruiser shows shows that there are reduced dates in October, November, and December. Starting in fall, the hotels only open for bookings three to four times a week. Many hardcore Disney Star Wars fans have been critical of the resort's exorbitant prices and the fact that it is windowless. Among the price gouging going on is inside the hotel. By the way, this is after you pay for the hotel. $13 beers and $23 mixed drinks, as well as $100 for a single photo. I mean, what do you think? And then let's turn to Mar Marvel. It's time for newness from Marvel movies. After the fourth Thor movie and a third standalone Ant-Man film, even Disney CEO wants something new. Sequels typically work out for us. Do you need their fourth and fifth? His comments come on the heels of disappointing box office performance of Ant-Man and the Wasp in Quantumania, 
As of Sunday, the film, which has been in theaters for nearly three weeks, has tallied just $420 million globally. Domestically, it has floundered with $187 million in total ticket sales after premiering with 104. It's a sharp fall from pre-lockdown averages, especially considering the film featured the Marvel Cinematic Universe's next big villain, Kang. Of course, there's nothing in any way inherently off in the terms of the Marvel brand, Iger said. I think we just have to look at what the characters' our own stories were mining. Oh no, there is a lot off with the Marvel brand. Make no mistake about it. Uh, you went to the well too many times. You focused on characters nobody liked or wanted to see. And you never planned when you had characters that people liked, like Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man or Chris Evans's Captain America um, or even you know people like Mark Ruffalo as Hulk. I don't, but it is what it is. Or Scarlett Johansson. Now everyone's sick of them. We know when they come back to Marvel, they're just cashing a check, which who could blame them because you pay them extremely well. There's no soul in the writing. Every new character you give me, by the way, is some woke crap. Like, okay, you check a box and you, you know, like there's nothing inherently wrong with America Chavez or um, what's the other one? Um, Miss Marvel? Miss Marvel? But you can't expect those to perform. Like they're different target audience, right? You want to, oh, we want, ooh, first Pakistani. It's so amazing. Okay, great, cool. But that's not enough reason for me, your normal Marvel viewer, to watch it. Or you say, uh, oh, this is America Chavez. She's an immigrant. Oh, it's so great. Okay, cool. Cool. If that's all you're selling me, I'm not paying you. You know, the most you're going to get out of me is a Disney Plus subscription. And I'll just wait for the thing to come out and I'll stream it whenever I want. Disney has not put out a movie that I felt the need to see since Endgame. You know, like it's it's been that long where I'm like, oh man, I gotta see this in the theater. I mean, I think for me, the last Thor movie was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the same thing again. Like, oh no, Thor is trying to find himself. Oh, he found himself. Oh, a big finish. Like. That was the biggest, laziest money grab I've ever really been a part of. I shouldn't say it. There's probably worse. But as somebody who really likes Hemsworth as Thor and really likes the Thor franchise and the Thor character, I just felt like, man, just ask me for 20 bucks and don't waste my two hours because it was just terrible. Now, he's, his comments come as he orchestrates broad restructuring of the company with an eye on slashing $5.5 billion in costs with $3 billion of that coming from content that means they're cutting movies like uh disney has been releasing new content from the mcu at somewhat frantic race uh frantic pace over the past few years the company has used disney plus as a vehicle to introduce new characters moon knight miss marvel she hulk as well as deeply explore legacy characters like loki falcon and the winter soldier after theatrical between theatrical releases however as the mcu grows some have rallied behind the franchise etc for new entrants and content others have found the required viewing of additional series to be arduous and wonder if Disney should slow down the rate of its release. Yes. How could anyone question this? This is what we told them about Star Wars too. The company's breakneck pace of content distribution has also put a lot of pressure on visual effect groups tasked with green screening action sequences for into a feast for the eyes, which also has been terrible lately. The increased output from the studio has exacerbated production woes these third parties faced in the wake of shutdowns through the lockdowns. The result has been some criticism about underwhelming superpower effects and or slapdash CGI backgrounds. 
that appear bundled. Marvel has begun spreading out its releases after Quantumania in February and will release Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in May and has postponed the Marvels previously set for July all the way back to November. And by the way, the Marvels is going to stink. Like, if they thought they had a banger, they wouldn't have pushed it back from July. It has already been pushed back four other times. I believe this was the fifth time they pushed it back. Now, there's all sorts of rumors about bad screenings and, you know, all these, you know, you know bad things that are happening. But I've seen zero evidence of that. I mean, they're just rumors. But when you have Bob, Bob Iger saying, we've made a grave mistake, you know, and we also need less Marvel movies. I mean, this is the correct answer. This is why, uh, why Disney has been failing. No one is excited about another Marvel spinoff series. You have to actually, I think, take your lumps and start all over with characters that people like. You know, like, I don't think you can go and replace Iron Man right now. But I sure know that Riri Williams isn't going to be the answer either. You need to go back to the well and find other popular characters and give them their shine. Unfortunately, their time to, like, come up in the Avengers is gone. So everything that's out now has to stand on its own. And Marvel needs to change their marketing and their advertising to mo away from... But this person's skin color give us money to check out how deep and interesting this character is and how cool and different this story is. That's how you win. It's been an interesting week in terms of uh, gender swapping and wokeifying and the general pushback of people out there in the public. We saw Angry Joe get mixed up into it using the typical like left-wing talky points of, hey, anybody who disagrees with gender swapping and race swapping characters is, is an ist or a phobe. And that didn't go so well for him, having several of his videos get more dislikes than likes and a multi-day Twitter meltdown for Joe. And now Seth Rogen appears to be out on a press tour whining and complaining that people are giving his movies or cartoons or anything negative reviews saying it's ruined people's lives, essentially playing the victim while behind the scenes tripling down on kind of the woke abomination that appears to be the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which uh, to me, again, clearly isn't targeted towards like adult memberberry fans of the show. It's clearly just they're taking the IP, marketing it to kids, hoping that the parents of those kids will remember the show or some something of that nature. But uh, it's difficult to say, but uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this hilarious plea for uh, everyone to just stop giving them bad reviews. Now, let's start with yet another swap, this via boundingintocomics.com. While most fans' attentions were understandably more focused on producer Seth Rogen's decision to subject April O'Neil to her second such race swap in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, it seems two more members of the Turtle cast have likewise received a, quote, modern update they've been quote reimagine these changes revealed in a series of promotional images released alongside the trailer which did announce the actress participation but did not actually specify their roles it appears that wingnut and leatherhead will have their gender swapped in the silver screen debuts per said images the franchise's resident batman parody will be portrayed as actress 
Natasia Demetru, don't really care. One of the stars of the television show, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I actually like that, that if that's her, Natasha. If she plays Natasha, she's pretty good. Um, but as noted above, these casting decisions under the presumption that like both this film and Across the Spider-Verse respective characters must share their superficial traits with the voice actors will result in two characters being presented as women rather than originally intended male forms. Look, again, is this the end of the world? No, because I'm just not going to watch it. I'm just not going to watch the show. It's not for me. It's not for you. They don't want you to watch it. They want to write, you know, they want articles coming out in Hollywood, you know, and, and um, you know, they want people like Angry Joe to have meltdowns. Remember Angry Joe after uh, being called out, not just for uh, you know, kind of having a melty, but directly calling another YouTuber, Eric July, the P word or worse, angry Joe got caught up in the very same thing, which is exactly what they want, which is exactly what Seth Rogen wants. He wants people like angry Joe to talk about how stunning and brave it is and how, if you don't like it, you, you must just not be able to fap to it. And then he wants people like me to make the videos pointing this out. Nonetheless, he gets a bunch of free pub, but I think this type of thing is backfiring because, you know, people all over the political spectrum are simply getting sick of it. They aren't, they just aren't tuning in to these type of things. So, you know, yes, the Angry Joe thing was bad, but then we see Seth Rogen does this interview saying that, uh, you know, oh my God, Seth Rogen, negative reviews are devastating. And I know people who have never recovered. Good. That's called feedback. And if you're not good at your job, um, I think that's probably uh, a good thing that you find a different job. And, you know, I think that, you know, ultimately, uh, Seth Rogen is obviously referring to, look, I can't sit here and pretend like his, he's a producer on the boys, I think, which is widely popular. It's a show I haven't watched. I'm not going to pretend to say like, oh, it's terrible. It seems well-liked. seems like people really like it. Um, he's had other projects that he's a producer on that has that have worked out pretty good. In terms of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if it doesn't need, if they aren't planning on having the member Barry fans, it might work out fine. It's, it's, not, it's not a show that I have any interest uh, in watching. But I think it's pretty funny that he's out here now pretending he's the victim and wants people to feel bad for him. This is the same guy that goes on Twitter, uh, freak outs, questioning people's whether or not they're Jewish and all this kind of stuff. He's really weird. Seth Rogen has said the negative reviews from critics are devastating. Speaking to Stephen Bartlett on the Diary of a CEO podcast, Rogen described negative press coverage as a trade-off for success in the film industry, but said that criticism hurts everyone. He said, I think if most critics knew how much it hurt people that made the things that they are writing about, they would second guess the way they write, they write these things. Are you joking? Are you joking? Are you asking me to feel bad for you? This is like Kevin Smith. This is like Kevin Smith levels of, yeah, I baited, switched, lied about being a fan of He-Man, lied about the show being about Tila and not He-Man. 
But guys, stop leaving negative reviews. It's just so mean to me. I'm just never going to get over it. It's so mean. Quote, it's devastating. I know people who have never recovered from it, honestly. A year, decades of being hurt by film reviews. It's very personal. That's something they can carry with them literally their entire lives. And I get why it effing sucks. Well, you know what? Uh, sucks to suck, doesn't it? Don't suck. Like, listen to your negative reviews and get better. That's the only way that you move forward. You can pretend, like, look, people have said negative things about me that have had zero effect on me. But things have, people have said things that do have an effect. And you know which ones do have an effect? It's the ones that have at least a kernel of truth. If somebody just calls me fat online or something like that, it doesn't bother me. Um, or if somebody just makes some wild, baseless like claim, it doesn't bother me because you clearly don't watch my videos. You don't know who I am. It doesn't bother me. I, I used to kind of get a little in my feelings on Twitter. I'm working on that. I think I'm about coming up on a week of either only posting my videos or only posting pictures of my pets. And... Um, to be honest with you, feels pretty good. Quote, or he goes on, quote, it feels like a very personal rejection. Asked about Green Hornet back from 2011, a movie of which the Guardian critic Peter Bradshaw said everything about it is disappointing. Rogan said the reviews are coming out and it was pretty bad. People hated it and it seemed like people were taking joy in disliking it a lot. But it opened to like 35 million which was the biggest opening weekend I'd ever been associated with. It did pretty well. 35 million? I guess maybe it was... I don't even remember that movie. I feel like I saw it, though. In contrast, he said the reaction to the 2014 um, film he did, the interview, was more painful. People were taking joy and talking junk about it and really questioning the types of people that would want to make a movie like that. They felt far more personal. Green Hornet felt like I fell... I had fallen victim, which was true to a big fancy thing that was not so much a creative failure, but our, our, on our parts of a conceptual failure. The interview, people treated us like we creatively failed and which sucked much worse. Well, why can't both things be true? I mean, look, I'm not going to lie and pretend that I've never enjoyed a Seth Rogen movie. In, in fact, you know, um, some of his like side character movies where he's not the main character are great. I remember him. I think, was he in X-Files? I'm trying to remember. Or am I thinking of Jack Black? Well, anyway, I know Jack Black definitely was. But I mean, like, Seth Rogen plays Seth Rogen. He's not a very good actor, but he makes a lot more money than probably any one of us. But what we don't like is when you take something like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and you say, well, I need to change the, the race of this character. Why? Reasons. I need to change the gender of this character. Why? Reasons. And then you wonder why people are like, well, I don't really want to see this. And I don't, I don't appreciate with you doing that. All he would have had to do is allow April O'Neil to look like April O'Neil should have looked. And then just added another black character. What would have been the big deal? In the original comics, April's boss is black. You could have brought that in. You could have had a black female. Um, like that's April's sidekick or friend. Like, how easy would that be? But that's why I never fall for these emotional pleas. Because 
It would be extraordinarily easy to add diversity to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles without changing the established lore, but that's not what they want to do. They want to change history. They want to tear it down. They want to destroy the things that you loved and make it something that they love. And I'm not standing for it. I don't accept their whiny pleas for um, mercy. And I will absolutely uh, speak freely about how much Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mutant madness looks absolutely trash. And it's 100% Seth Rogen's fault. And he should feel bad about that. There's talks of criminal charges being brought forth for Anthony Fauci. And just a few hours ago, the White House uh, got passed after unanimous approval, um, the go ahead to declassify all of the records, all of the data around the KUF's origin. This could be a potential uh, bombshell, you know, for, well, everybody and could potentially escalate things beyond where I even imagined. Certainly it'd be interesting uh, as we're already finding out certain people lied about things, certain people tried to squash stories and well, the American people were left in the lurch. People were banned all over the planet. Uh, people were, you know, ostracized. People were called all sorts of things. People were fired from their jobs. People were, um, you know, you, you know, just outright unpersoned uh, simply for, uh, saying maybe what maybe what's already true. Here's Jim Jordan on Dr. Fauci's lies before Congress. We're building the case for criminal references. This via Fauci Benny Johnson. Has, of course, absolved himself of all funding of gain of function. He said he doesn't know anything about it. It is verifiable and demonstrable that he lied. Now, there are codes in Congress. I have a code right here. 18 U.S. Code 1001. Statements, 1001, false yeah. statements to Congress. Says you can yep. be imprisoned. Says you can be imprisoned for eight years if you lie to Congress. It seems like there has never been a more clear-cut case of some individual lying to Congress. Yeah, we Dr. can do it. Yeah, there could be a referral, but you would refer it to the to the Biden Justice Department. I don't know that. I don't know that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna pursue that. Mm -hmm. uh, but you could you could definitely do that. You could uh, you know have have uh, one of the committees, the, the Senate Judiciary Committee, could do a referral. I doubt they will with 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 the Democrats in charge. We could do a referral, referral potentially. Uh, I, I would frankly prefer to just have Dr. Fauci come back in and take another round of questions here. But mm -hmm. we're building the case. You know, like we had Dr. Redfield uh, uh, testify last yes. week. Uh, 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 Chairman Winstrup did. I thought he was I thought he was great. As as were the other witnesses that were brought in. So. Uh, again, laying that foundation. I do think Dr. Fauci and, and uh, the, the, the uh, CDC changed the definition of gain-of-function research. So this is, you know, uh, Representative Jim Jordan saying, hey, they're building the case, but he's also being realistic in that, like, well, is Joe Biden going to really prosecute him? I don't know, but maybe the next president would. You know, maybe the next president would. It's not that far away. I'm certainly building the case for that. I mean, this is after... Um, you know, being called out by, uh, you know, former colleagues, CDC employees, uh, about, you know, being a liar and, uh, Fauci comes out, he rejects claims that he froze, uh, the potential leak proponents engaged in funding bribe. Representative Jim Jordan keyed into a $9 million research grant during Wednesday's hearings. This was just the other day. 
Uh, so, I mean, I was quite upset as a CDC director that I was excluded, excluded from those discussions um, going on to talk about that. Then here's another article via Fox News. Uh, yeah, uh, just a few, few days ago, Anthony Fauci hid the truth about the coup until now. Dr. Anthony Fauci went to overdrive to change the narrative around its origins. Now he's being exposed at, by testimony at the hearings. Now, these are, you know, former New York Times science editor Nicholas Wade told the House subcommittees that um, Dr. Anthony Fauci seriously mishandled determining the origins because it wasn't going to be convenient then, was it? Here, of course, Fauci says Redfield's testimonies, you know, panicking that it was unequivocally incorrect. You know, from it's an interesting time to retire, though, isn't it? If you're if you're him, hasn't it been? Now, Anthony Fauci led much of the United States response team during the coup, said testimony from former CDC and prevention director, or former CDC director, Robert Redfield, that he was excluded from a conference call about the possible origins was, quote, unequivocally incorrect. Well, now we have a he said, he, she said type scenario. Fauci told Fox News Channel's Neil Cavuto in an interview on Thursday that he was not involved in deciding who would be involved in the call he took with a group of evolutionary urologists to discuss the possibility that it had been, it had been in, in fact, engineered. Of course, Fauci, the former director of the NIH, and uh, you know, made his comments in response to testimony that Redfield gave on Wednesday before the House Select Committees investigating the coup. The Republicans serving on the committee focused much of their attention on the theory that, of course, it perhaps potentially escaped causing everything to start. Redfield said he believes this theory is based on the biology of it, it, of the virus itself, more than the theory that it naturally spread. So he went on to kind of bolster what is a lot of people's opinions. Of course, that causes Fauci to panic. And it's such a weird thing because it's like, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that its origins would have changed how we responded to it. I'm not sure to the particular, you know, the particular virus itself. It certainly might have changed the way Americans expected the United States to be dealing with China over the past three, four years. You know, that's that's almost certain. That's undeniable, right? Uh, and now that you have this situation where uh, the White House is set to declassify this, will we get anything of use is the question. How much of it will be Redacted. Will it be like an entire page of uh, of like um, <laughs> just black lines, everything getting crossed out? It's hard to know. Americans are one step closer to knowing what the U.S. government knows about the origins of the coup. The House on Friday unanimously passed a version of its Senate-approved bill that would force the White House to declassify intelligence reports about the origins of the coup. The 419 to 0 vote sends the bill to the president's desk completely unopposed in Congress after the Senate approved this measure by unanimous consent last week. However, the White House was conspicuously circumspect about whether the president would sign off on the legislation Friday. Well, if he doesn't sign off on it, he's going to look pretty bad. I I, I would suspect he's going to look pretty bad. He's going to look pretty suspect in all of this. I mean, that's my prediction. I mean, who knows what Biden's handlers will have him say. 
I mean, if they want to replace him anyway, maybe they'll just say, quote, we're taking a look at the bill, White House Press Secretary KJP said, told reporters during a regular briefing, we have continued to share information, as I've mentioned many times before with members of Congress, we will continue to use every tool to figure out what happened here, while also protecting classified information. Again, we're going to take a look at the bill. I mean, I don't really know um, what we're going to see. I, I, I suspect that it'll probably be released and it'll be heavily redacted. I mean, look how long it took for us to get any semblance of recordings or information or files on what happened um, during J6. You know, and, and now, now that it's out there, most Americans who have seen it are wondering why these Americans are sitting uh, in federal prison, some of them for years. Some of these people ended their own lives, by the way, uh, when facing these charges. The proposal requires the director of NI, uh, National Intelligence, Avril Haines, to declassify any and all information relating to potential links between uh, that particular city and the coup, as well as make available to the public as much information as possible regarding the virus's origins. origins. Now, either Congress is absolutely sure that the American people aren't going to get any kind of helpful information, or... Um, this is going to be heavily redacted or they're, con they're or they're convinced that it's going to be redacted because we know what is, what is, what is Biden going to do? What is Biden going to do? Uh, even if this is, you know, unequivocally related big fat, nothing, right? Now the American people will be able to see what the government knows about the coup's origins and those who lied about it can be held accountable, wrote Hawley, who tweeted a response to John Jean-Pierre's statement, sign it, let the American people see for themselves. Now, releasing it on a Friday afternoon sure seems suspect, sure seems super convenient. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's telling, you know, Papa Joe, hey, just uh, wait till about 6 p.m. Eastern, sign it off. We'll get articles about it on Saturday. And no one will talk about it. You know, for years, uh, chi communist China lied about the origins. Democrats refused to investigate, tweeted Representative Ben Klein of Virginia. That's why House GOP just passed a bill requiring Biden admin to declassify everything. Well, I mean, hey, Democrats voted to do it too. I mean, it would have been like probably career ending for them not to. But it's going to be interesting to see if we actually see anything. Um you know, and it's, 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 they might have enough votes to override any type of presidential veto. So this is going to be interesting to see. Keep your eyes open. I have some terrible news. In fact, unironic, uh, you know, normally everyone knows that this is the unofficial Brie Larson fan channel here at the quartering. There are many who are imposters and try to be the unofficial Brie Larson fan channel, but I am the original. And it seems like there's actually some real drama on the set. Many rumors coming out there that the Marvels has been delayed multiple times now due to apparently Brie Larson not getting along with her co-stars and having fighting on the set and screaming matches and things of this nature. And I gotta say, this shocks me. She seems like such a nice person. She seems like she would be extraordinarily uh, easy to get along with. 
Um, and it seems like Marvel has tons of confidence in the Captain Marvel character, given they named the movie. Oh, wait. They didn't name the movie after her. They called it the Marvels. And then they put three other people in the movie that are supposed to be the stars. I'm sure that has absolutely nothing to do with it. Let's get into the story. It's absolutely wild. Marvel's delay rumored to be down to behind the scenes drama with Brie Larson. A couple of very interesting rumors for everyone today. The Marvel's Marvel Studios upcoming sequel to Captain Marvel was recently pushed back from its July 28th release date to November 10th. Now, we know that uh, the CEO of Disney recently said that they needed to space out these Marvel movies <laughs> more. Uh, people were essentially admitting that people were getting Marvel fatigue, burnout. There wasn't really anything interesting. And people had stopped going to the movie theater uh, for going to the movie theater's sake. And uh, I, I, I have to admit that I'm kind of the same. Like when I'm, when I, nowadays, I don't know if you're like this. You let me know in the comment section. When I see a movie trailer and I'm like, oh, dang, that looks pretty sweet. The very first thing I do is I look to see if it's streaming. I'll even pay 20 bucks to watch it at home uh, in, in some rare occasions. I think I did that with, uh, what is that movie? The guy from The Office did it. Uh, it was pretty good. Um, it came out recently where he's like a podcaster. Uh, Ashton Kutcher's in it. It's pretty good. I think I had to pay like 20 bucks for that. And Sonic, I think I had to do too. But anyway, I like to see if it's coming out on streaming first. And then only if it's really good. And like, I cannot see it anywhere but the theater. Like the last movie I, I, was, I saw was The Whale. That wasn't streaming. And I was like, I, I got to see it. I want to see it now. Um, and it was only in the theater. So that actually happens pretty rarely. Black Phone, I think, was one of those two. Um, so Marvel movies for me, absolutely kind of self-categorize themselves as, eh, I'll go see it later. Shortly after the delay was announced, reports indicated that the movie was pushed back to allow for more time for post-production post-production. While that might be the case, Jeff Snyder has now heard that that isn't the main reason. Uh, on this episode, on an episode of hot Mike, Snyder said he had heard that Brie Larson was not the easiest to work with, the word nightmare was used, and had clashed with her co-star, Tayana Paris. We're not exactly sure why or how this could impact the film's post-production process, but Snyder suggested that there may have been some diva-like behavior behind the scenes. Well, I've got to be honest with you. I would totally, this would seem totally plausible because, you know, you're Brie Larson, you are Captain Marvel, and essentially, like, I can't think of a bigger embarrassment than uh, being pushed out of your own franchise. But Disney, again, admitted that we don't need all these franchise continuations. Ant the latest Ant-Man movie will lose tens of millions of dollars for Disney, maybe 50 million or something, 50 to 100 million they're going to lose. And Bob Iger, newly reinstated CEO of Disney, you know, Disney came out and said, look, we don't need four Ant-Man movies is essentially what he said. We need bigger, more important movies that people get excited about, um, but we don't need a fourth Ant-Man installment. But you know, it's interesting that they say that because the last Doctor Strange movie made nearly a billion dollars. So to me, it's more about the actual actor star than necessarily too many sequels. That said, that was only the sequel right? 
uh, Quantum or the the Doctor Strange was only the sequel, only the second, and we've seen Doctor Strange around. But uh, you know, I you look at Thor. Are we on the fourth or fifth Thor movie? And they just keep going downhill. But I think part of that is that they're just getting worse. Like uh, even Guardians of the Galaxy, right? If you asked me to order the you know the best Guardians of the Galaxy movies in order, it'd be like the first through the last. Like they just keep getting worse. Thor had. Uh, you know, Dark World was kind of people didn't really like it. Um, but like ultimately Thor, you know, Ragnarok was very well received. But then basically they tried to reprint the exact same movie in Love and Thunder and it sucked. And um, Natalie Portman sucked. It looked like she was mailing it in. It was lame. Many of the di- so much of the dialogue was cringe and dated. And it was just an obvious like money grab. So. You know, I, I don't think a fifth Thor movie would really do any good unless Thor was the character met his end, you know, the end of Thor. That would probably be how you end the franchise. And l- please, no more jokes. Like, the other thing is, like, Marvel somewhere along the line figured out people like jokes, right? They like Iron Man and Captain America cracking a joke while the world burns around them. That's levity. That's funny. But then you get... To where like Taika Waititi's Thor movies are. And it's like joke, 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 joke. It's like in one nonstop joke the entire time. And there's no plot or there's nothing really going on. Now apparently Brie Larson was not happy the sequel was titled The Marvels. And not Captain Marvel 2. Which of course. Because she feels the franchise was originally built. Around being cast in the lead role. Before any writer or director was brought on board. Oh and the Blade delays. I guess um, the star is said to feel exactly the same way about the MCU reboot. Interesting. The star of the Blade reboot doesn't have any clout whatsoever. And and really, these are all rumor websites. You know, like, we haven't seen this really bubble up to any reputable sources. You know, Fandom Wire, same thing. Marvel's reportedly an S-show entire project in trouble. As Brie Larson upset, it's not called Captain Marvel 2. I mean, it's weird that this would be coming out now, just, you know, just in, you know, to, to be fair, right? It's weird that this is coming out now. We've known the movie's been called The Marvels for like two years. So, or at least a year. Many changes have been happening with MCU in the lead up to Phase 5, Phase 6. Phase 4 films like Black Widow, Thor, Love and Thunder, Ant-Man, The Wasp, Quantumania, opening to lukewarm responses. There seems to be uncertainty within Marvel camp regarding the films to follow. This has led a bunch of delays, including the release of the Marvels, a.k.a. Captain Marvel 2, which has now been postponed till November. In addition, there are rumors that the star of the film, Brie Larson, is reportedly not satisfied with aspects of the film. According to the above-line writer Jeff Schneider, uh, above-the-line writer, Marvel Studios may be in trouble. The journalist speaking on Hot Mike Podcast said the recent developments regarding delays from the film have thrown the franchise into chaos with specific reference to the Marvels. The writer stated the failure of Phase 4 films as the reason to have been why it's been postponed twice already. Jeff Schneider went on to add that the film star Brie Larson was apparently unhappy with the movie's title. This meant the room actor would have had to share the prominence with Tayana Paris, who plays Monica Rambeau, and Iman Vellani, who plays Kamala Khan in the film. While Monica Rambeau was a prominent character in the TV series WandaVision, Kamala Khan was a protagonist in Miss Marvel, also on television. 
This news comes to indicate that Brie Larson is dissatisfied with some of the other elements of the sequel, including the video effects, and has requested improvements be made to these departments. Well, hey, shout out to Brie Larson if she's saying it doesn't look good. You know, like, that's actually something I would support. Now, I remember this casting photo, right? I remember how everyone was like, yes, Slay Queen, Girl Boss, this is amazing. Uh, this is the best thing to ever happen to women in history. But you got to understand the dynamic here, too, where Brie Larson was the star of Captain Marvel. Yes, you had Samuel L. Jackson, right? And you had some, but she, it was Captain Marvel. It was all about Captain Marvel. Um, and then how is she thanked after a movie that grossed a billion dollars? This is what she's thinking, probably. She has to share the billing. Now, not with one, but two other women. We know about women sharing, am I right? No, I'm just kidding. Men be, men be, men be unshareable too. Well, you get what I'm saying. I'm sure there's this a huge ego hit because like you were, you were the star of a billion dollar movie and now you're just like taking a backseat to more. This is, but this is what Brie Larson asked for, right? This is what Brie asked for. More diversity, more women in film. And you have obviously everything we know going out with MCU. I mean, it's so strange. It's like, it's almost like we were right about Captain Marvel and Marvel knows we're right. So many people rush to say, oh no, it's a billion dollar movie. It's going to stand on its own. Everybody loves Brie Larson. Everybody loves C Captain Marvel. We'll see. It sure seems like we were right when we said that it did well because of being viewed as require reading for the biggest movie in Marvel's history. And then all the film critics and woke people were like, see, wham, and Brie Larson's the best actress ever. Everyone. That's why she had like eight seconds on camera during Endgame, right? I, I suspect that these rumors are absolutely true. We'll have to see what you say in the comment section down below. I look forward to reading it. Make sure you leave a like on this video if you haven't yet subscribed down below. Check out coffeebrandcoffee.com this weekend, promo code the quartering. We'll talk to you again real soon. Happy Saturday to you, I suppose, as long as you don't have money in the Silicon Valley Bank, as many corporations do. Perhaps many uh, Chinese corporations, many people are saying, it's a pretty interesting story. If you're like me, you're not like super, you know, in uh, uh, up to what's going on, how this even happens. How does a bank fail in just 48 hours? Well, I think it's pretty complex, but there's a couple of good articles out there that explain it and what it all means. Uh, and, and so this article, we have, why did it fail? In short, Silicon Valley Bank encountered a classic run on the bank. Several forces collided to take down the banker. First, there was the Federal Reserve, which began raising interest rates a year ago to tame inflation. The Fed moved aggressively. The higher borrowing costs snapped the momentum of tech stocks that they had before uh, that had benefited Silicon Valley Bank. Higher interest rates also eroded the long value of long-term bonds from Silicon Valley Bank and other banks gobbled up during the era of ultra-low near-zero interest rates. 
As Phoebe's $21 million bond portfolio was yielding an average of 1.79%, the current 10-year treasury bond is 3.9. At the same time, venture capital began drying up, forcing startups to draw down funds held by SVB. So the bank was sitting on a mountain of unrealized loans in bonds just as the pace of customer withdrawals was escalating. Essentially, they didn't keep enough of their own customers' money in the coffers. That's, that's what happened here. They didn't keep enough of their own customers' money. Like you, you give me $10 and you say, hold on to it. And then I go spend it a bunch of other places. And then you come back to me and say, hey, can I have my $10 back? And I'll say, well, I only have two of it. It's essentially a super simple way of simplifying it. On Wednesday, the bank announced it had sold a bunch of securities at a loss and that it would also sell $2.25 billion in new shares to shore up their balance sheet, meaning they were probably at a deficit. That triggered panic among key venture capital firms who reportedly advised companies to withdraw their money from the bank immediately. The bank stock plummeted on Thursday morning and the afternoon it was dragging down other bank shares with with it as investors began to fear a repeat of the 2007-2008 financial crisis. And we still don't know for a fact that that's not going to happen. By Friday morning, SVB shares were halted and it had abandoned efforts to quickly raise capital or find a buyer. California regulators intervened, shutting the bank down and placing its receivership under Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. So the FDIC, you know, that little sign you see except the FDIC only insures $250,000 and many corporations had way more than that in the bank. Despite the initial panic on Wall Street, analysts say that SVB's collapse is unlikely to set off the kind of domino effect that gripped the banking industry during the financial crisis. Quote, the system is well capitalized and then liquid as it's ever been, Moody chief economist Mark Zandi said. The banks are now in trouble uh, the banks that are now in trouble are much too small to be a meaningful threat to the broader system. No later than Monday morning, all insured depositors will have full access to their insured deposits, uh, insured deposits, according to FDIC, which is, again, just $250,000 of potentially millions of dollars for each, each individual company. So while the broader contagion is unlikely, oh, look at, oh, any Bonini. Smaller banks that are disproportionately tied to cash-strapped industries like tech and crypto may be in for a rough ride. Senior marketing analyst said, everyone on Wall Street knew that the Fed, hiking rate, Fed rate hiking campaign would eventually break something. And right now, that is taking down some small banks. The FDIC typically sells a failed bank's assets to other banks using the proceeds to repay depositors whose funds weren't insured. Although a buyer could still emerge for SVP, it's far from guaranteed. Some people suggested Elon Musk. I'd rather he just focus on Twitter. But they see there is, in fact, a broader effect happening right now. Stablecoin, USDC breaks dollar peg after firm reveals it has $3.3 billion in SVP exposure, meaning they had that much money with the bank. The U.S. cryptocurrency firm circles... Circle's USD coin lost its dollar peg and fell to a record low Saturday morning after the company revealed it has nearly 8% of its $40 billion in reserves 
tied up at Collapse Lender Silicon Valley Bank. I think this is bigger than, than most people think. USDC is known as stablecoin, which means the value of virtual currency is supposed to be pegged to as a reference of currency. USDC is designed to trade at $1, but it fell below 87 cents on Saturday. Regulators shuttered SVB Friday and seized its deposits in what became the largest United States banking failure since the 2008 crisis. The company's spectacular implosion late Wednesday when it surprised investors with news that it needed to raise $2.5 billion to shore up its balance sheet. What followed was the rapid collapse of a highly respected bank that had grown alongside the technology clients. In a tweet Friday, Circle said it had $3.3 billion remaining in reserves of SVB. The company called for the continuity of the bank and said that it will follow guidance from regulators. The crypto industry is still picking up the pieces after the sudden collapse of FTX last year and USDC's break with the dollar could signal more trouble ahead. Stablecoins, like banks, are also vulnerable to runs. SVB customers withdrew a staggering $42 billion of deposits by the end of Thursday, according to California regulatory filing. By the close of business that day, SVB had a negative cash balance of $958 million, according to filing, and failed to scrounge enough collateral from other sources, meaning... They already are a billion dollars overdrawn. I have no idea. We have no real idea how much, you know, how much money is left inside this bank. If USDC holders get spooked or worried that there's not enough money in the reserve, they could also rush to sell or exchange their coins. I mean, I think this is far from over. Companies scramble to meet payroll, pay bills after SVB's swift failure. The sudden collapse of Silicon Valley Bank has thousands of tech startups wondering what happens now to their millions of dollars in deposits, money, market investments, and outstanding loans. Most importantly, they're trying to figure out how to pay their employees. That's question number one. SVB is a 40-year-old bank that's known for handling deposits and loans for thousands of tech startups in Silicon Valley and beyond. It fell apart this week and was shut down by regulators. While the bank's failures aren't entirely uncommon, SVB is a unique beast. It was the 16th biggest bank by assets by the end of 2022, according to the Federal Reserve, with $209 billion in assets. Unlike a typical brick-and-mortar bank, though, um, SVB was designed to serve businesses with over half of its loans to venture funds and private equity firms and 9% to early-stage and growth-stage companies. This is the thing. The FDIC Corporation, which became the receiver of SVB, insures $250,000 of deposits per client. Now imagine if you had like $40 million in there. As of December, roughly 95% of SVB's deposits were uninsured, according to filings of the uh, SEC. 95% uninsured. Yikes. Now, of course, as the FDIC sells the assets of Silicon Valley Bank, future dividend payments may be made to uninsured depositors, but who knows how much money you're going to get back. And, and companies that have big you know, loans and things like that tied with this bank, more than 85% of Silicon Valley Bank's deposits were not insured. Here's what that means for customers. Many Silicon Valley startups had millions or even hundreds of millions of dollars deposited at the bank. 
money they use to run their companies, pay their employees. Right now, nobody is sure how much cash is even left. Yikes. And this is this is going to be a, a, a year of, 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 of realignment coming back down to earth. That's what we're seeing in the tech industry with huge layoffs basically constantly coming down the pipe from uh, uh, um, you know tech companies, Facebook, Twitter, um, Google, YouTube, all these companies are going to be laying have been laying off tens of thousands of people. Of course, the Silicon Valley Bank CEO sold $3.5 million in shares just two weeks before the collapse. I'm sure he, he, I'm sure he knew nothing about it. I'm sure he saw none of it coming. I'm sure this is all a surprise to him too. I mean, this is, this is an absolute, I mean, there is going to be a massive ripple effect here. Um, this is the very same guy who pressed Congress to weaken risk regulations. Um, but hey, Elon Musk shows interest in buying Silicon Valley Bank after collapse. I mean, Elon Musk tweeted about it. I'm not sure that's interest, although he did tweet about buying Twitter and he did eventually do that. I'm not sure he has the money <laughs> to be buying it. Um, he's open to the idea is basically all he said, make it a digital bank. Um, this is going to have a, a massive ripple effect on Silicon Valley and big tech, you know, and we'll find out in the future, you know, like which companies have huge money in SVB right now. We don't know for sure. I mean, they will, obviously, if they're publicly traded, they're going to have to disclose this. Um, but yikes, second biggest bank collapse in history. And it happened in just 48 hours. <sighs> Keep some cash around the house, I suppose, boys and girls. Now we are getting even more brutal details from the behind the scenes, from the reveal, from the Osendario brothers, the ones that were paid to make Juicy Sommelier uh, look like some sort of hero, look like he was on the receiving end of one of the worst crimes uh, that happen, that can happen in this country. And that is, you know, obviously uh, race-based, um, you know, type of attacks that he, we now know, completely faked in exchange for fame and was completely fine with destroying already, you know, capitalizing on already very tenuous um, kind of race relations in this country at a time in which in my life, I don't think they've ever been worse. Well, now the release of Anatomy of a Hoax came out and we found even more hilarious details. So the Osendario brothers claim now, this is from this new documentary, that the morning they prepared to allegedly help actor Juicy Sommelier uh, stage a uh, incident against himself in 2019, he didn't even bother showing up on time. We got we made sure to get there at 2 a.m. sharp. We had no phones because he didn't want us to bring any phones. Uh, one brother suggested, and do you know why he didn't want them to bring phones? It's because this was premeditated, and he probably knew. That cell phone location triangulation could be tracked. And this was him. Again, this is one of those things where I'm not sure if this came up during the trial, but he very clearly planned it very detailed, a very detailed plan. That's why all this money he's wasting, all this public hullabaloo about, um, you know, getting his sentence reduced and things of that nature. 
I know I have very little faith, and many of us have very little faith, including Chicagoans uh, in the Chicago legal system, but I sincerely hope that he serves at least a couple of months, three months, give him 90 days, period, at least. Yes, did he, you know, was it a, you know, a terrible, you know, physical type thing? No, but I do think that there needs to be an example set here that he is not allowed to use his money and clout to manipulate the American people. For all we know, there are so many secondary incidents that may have happened between, let's say, you know, the next time uh, a black American sees somebody who happens to be wearing a Make America Great Again hat around Chicago, maybe they're a tourist, they probably don't live there, and maybe something happened to them. You know, that's the fire that Juicy Sommelier lit. Now, of course, it's Jussie Smollett, but, you know, we got to go with that. Quote, so at 2 a.m., he was nowhere to be found. He was not there on time. So we're like, dang, what do we do? We didn't have no way of contacting him. He had no way of contacting us, so we just waited there for about four minutes. Uh, but it, And then one brother chimed in and said, but it felt like forever because it was cold as, I believe he says balls. <laughs> so I saw him out of the corner of my eye. One brother replied, and I was like, okay, that's him. Let's go. So maybe he was having some last minute kind of, uh, and by the way, this anatomy of a hoax thing on Fox, like, I think this basically removes all doubt, like all doubt that this was completely premeditated. This was, you know, of course, you know, this meant this was supposed to happen. So. The brothers returned to the posh Chicago block for the first time since that chilly January 2019 morning uh, for a five-part docuseries. Five-part. One is probably enough. Uh, Jesse Smollett, Anatomy of a Hoax, streaming Monday on Fox Nation. In their first extensive interview since testifying at Smollett's trial in 2021, the brothers share exclusive details of their alleged roles in the made-for-TV drama that captured international headlines for years. Their attorney, Gloria V. Rodriguez, is listed as an executive producer. <laughs> oh, my God. Everyone's getting paid. By the way, these brothers participated in a crime. They took money to perpetuate this hoax. The problem was uh, Juicy Simoliet, multi-millionaire, only bothered giving them, I think it was $1,500. That's not enough to keep them quiet. So once the heat got turned on, they immediately turned on him. Uh, which, you know, 1500 bucks ain't enough to buy silence. Anyway, it continues. As we cross the street, we say, hey, hey, to get his attention. They actually said the word, hey, N-word. He turned around to us, looked at us. And that's when we started yelling the famous slurs that he actually wanted us to yell. Hey, aren't you that empire F-word? The Osendario brothers claimed to the camera crew. So what's hilarious about this? is not only is it obviously a, a, a hilarious hoax, right? But he never even had to do any of this, right? So he could have just said it happened. You know, like he could have just said it happened, but no, he's such a maniac that he had two black men uh, approach him and say the scripted lines um, for reasons. I mean, certainly security cameras would have pictured them as not black, I suppose, unless they covered their faces and skin and arms and hands and everything like that. 
Um, but that would have been an incredible risk too. And then they even tussled. We started tussling, moving around. Then I pull him to the ground. One brother said uh, he wanted it to look like he fought back. Yes, real heroic. That was very important to him because he said, hey, don't just kick my butt. Make it look like I'm fighting back and whatever. Smollett, who had long proclaimed innocence, didn't participate in the project, uh, which arrives nearly two weeks after he filed an appeal challenging his disorderly conduct conviction and requesting a new trial. I don't believe he's going to get a new trial. Uh, I think the information is out there. And in fact, it's only gotten worse at this point. And it would be an absolute miscarriage of justice if they just let the guy, uh, you know, appeal, use his money to buy more time, more freedom, and then just say, ah, it's not worth it. Because that's what he wants. He wants the Chicago legal system say, eh, whatever, it's not worth it. The Fox Nation special rehashes the rise and fall of the actor who had been starring in the hit Fox drama Empire, which followed the exploits of a cutthroat music mogul and his talented family for, for four years at the time of the incident. Here you have them seeing on surveillance video, buying supplies at an Ace Hardware store, paying cash, of course, like, this doesn't look weird at all. Buying black masks, buying robes, <laughs> like, nothing going on here. One brother uh, claims that Smollett did not provide a spe specific motive, but wanted to be the poster boy for activism. His words. The brothers claim Smollett walked them through the plans and accompanied them to the site beforehand. One brother then remarked, yo, this, is, this Hollywood stuff is crazy. And this dude, wow, I don't know what the heck he's on, but shoot, we're part of it now. Now it's time to, you know, carry on and follow through with it. Smollett reported, of course, the incident, which never happened, um, on his way back from a Subway restaurant. He said his attackers yelled these words at him, declared Chicago is mega country, and hit him and poured some sort of chemical on him and put a noose around his neck. As police continued to investigate... Smollett sat down with Good Morning America co-anchor Robin Roberts to share his version of the confrontation two weeks later. The entire, I mean, he even went on TV to quadruple down on it. He said, any doubt in my mind, this surveillance image that uh, the police released of two persons of interest in dark clothes were the so-called per per perpetrators. Eddie Johnson, who served as Chicago police superintendent from 2016 to 2019, admitted the docuseries that police had a, quote, better photo of the suspects than the grainy one initially shared, but feared inciting against uh, Chicago's black community. So they had better evidence to solve the crime, and they never even released it. So now in full disclosure, I can see the reason why we wouldn't let them put it out was because uh, it did have a red baseball cap, the police officer said. The red hat was allegedly worn to suggest that it was a Make America Great Again theme, but it wasn't even... I'll make America great again hat. That's a pretty interesting fact, isn't it? I didn't want people to focus on that because it would cause more angst. So now the next day when everybody finds out about it, do you think we'd have some issues in the city? Yes, we would. And by the way, I 100% agree with that. Within days, police determined the men were the El Sendario brothers, small-time actors who had worked as background players. In the docuseries, the brothers say they were 100% believable as white supremacists. But one brother recalled the uneasy feeling he experienced on the plane while replaying it in his mind. And when the information police have released to the media about the case, 
two big police officers came up. I went with them. I was like, dang, it's over with. They got me, one brother said. It was like the movie itself. The brothers eventually decided to cooperate with police, and Smollett was hit with 16 felony counts of disorderly conduct for making a false report. He was accused of orchestrating the phony hoax to boost his music and acting career. Don't forget that he also faked a letter that was sent to him. In a shocking move, weeks later, the charges were dropped by Cook County's corrupt attorney, Kim Fox, after Smollett performed some community service and gave up 10K. Johnson said the docuseries that he was also a police recruit and promotion ceremony when then-Mayor Rahim Emanuel, when he heard the surprising development, he was like, super, how the frick did this stuff happen? Johnson recalled Emanuel's alleged response to the news. He said, I know Fox, and I don't have the best relationship, but you and her talk all the time. Did you know? And he didn't even have a clue that she dropped the charges. So, of course, more corruption, right? People don't talk to each other. Of course, he had a brief press conference. After I saw the press conference, I called the mayor. I said, you know what? Game on. Johnson remembered the do- remembered in the docuseries. Fox had recused herself from the investigation after it surfaced that she'd been in touch with Simulette's family. I believe she also called Michelle Obama or something like that, or she called her. In the beginning, Fox and I were in lockstep with this thing. I do think, however, something occurred. Now, what that something is, I really couldn't say. Well, she got paid off, or she got a call from somebody, or something like that. Before adding... Um, what those reasons are, I don't think we'll ever really know. Talking about this corrupt uh, attorney Fox letting him go. Maybe she didn't like Trump either. I mean, it was either politically motivated or all this stuff. This is going to be an interesting docuseries to watch and follow through. Uh, This new information, of course, is hilarious. And I hope he serves every day of his, uh, you know, this is um, in his latest appeal filed this month. He claims double je- his double jeopardy rights were violated. I 100% believe that Jesse will be able to rebound from this situation, one of the Osendario brothers said. As he reflected on the four-year drama, I wouldn't be surprised if he's thinking about running for political office. This is America. Anything is possible. Well, he's certainly not wrong. Yes, I uh, was waiting. Uh, I, sh- I should have told everyone Friday. So hopefully you'll get a chance to see this um, by Monday morning. But uh, I will be live uh, interviewing Steven Crowder. And there's a couple of things I wanted to prepare everyone for and give you a chance in the comment section down below to get your questions answered. Uh, I have a lot of questions around his new deal with Rumble what that means for creators, what that process was like, what the media flurry's been like, what kind of um, reuptake uh, he's seen from Mug Club, um, you know, and what kind of backlash maybe um, he may have gotten from Daily Wire fans or perhaps, you know, if he's repaired those relationships, things of that nature. And I think it's an important interview because there's a lot of um of questions now because for somebody who has supported new tech we used to call it alt tech now we call it new tech you know for years you know guys like sticks hex and hammer did it before me i've always tried to make sure my videos are available everywhere you know it was you know bitshoot odyssey rumble there was what was it vidme for a while there's <clears throat> every couple of years there's a couple different options but rumble for the very first time, 
ever has really provided a sustainable home for creators that see, appears to be viable. Like people are running ads on the platform. I mean, I run my um, coffee brand coffee ads on that platform. By the way, uh, we're gonna be early. It's gonna be early Monday morning, right around nine or 10 a.m. And uh, I will set, I will create a reminder uh, stream so you can set to be notified. Um, but I just wanted to let everyone know now, give people a chance, you know, whatever top voted questions are in there, I'll try to ask. Now, Steven Crowder, just a few days ago, signed an exclusive deal with Rumble. Uh, one thing I want to be sure, one of the things I want to ask him if, is like, does this mean no more YouTube at all? Does this mean clips only on YouTube? What does this mean? You know, behind the scenes, he's told me some things about, you know, and I don't think he would mind if I mentioned this, but you know, certainly his channel appears to be like many of ours suppressed and, um, and hidden and deboosted, blacklisted, all these type of things. And if it weren't for his super loyal mug club viewers, people would probably never see his videos. Um, you know, viewers are extraordinarily powerful. And I want to ask him a little bit about his mug clubbers because, you know, I have a similar community here, but we don't really have a name. And I'd like to have a name for my viewers and a, and a central cause. And that's something that I really could learn from Stephen on uh, and ask him about that. I have lots of questions around what does it actually look like? Um, you know, is he going to stream on YouTube and Rumble and then go to Rumble exclusively? Is any of his new content going to be Rumble exclusive? Is it going to all be Rumble exclusive? And really questions about the launch because... His launch of Mug Club uh, over on Rumble uh, seemed to be pretty smooth. You can join, you go here, you join his Mug Club. I talked to a lot of former Mug Clubbers who were feeling a little bit burned because he left Blaze. And so many of them had signed up for Mug Club exclusively because of Steven Crowder. And so I 100% understand that. And from what I understand, if you're an existing mug clubber, he was giving out some sort of discount or promo code so you could get some free time on the new site, which I think is really good and, and probably the best he could do uh, to kind of make that up. Uh, but I'm curious what his uptake rate has been. Um, I'm sure he won't give me like the exact numbers, but also I think I want to talk a little bit about what is the impact that I'm going to try to get out to Chris Pavlovsky, the CEO of Rumble. I actually have uh, a really cool Rumble award that I want to show. I'll probably lord over him. I'm sure he got millions of dollars from them, <laughs> but I got a cool award. Um, you know, what is the impact on Rumble? Because, you know, as a creator who mirrors his content on Rumble, uh, I'm going to wonder, you know, you see they uploaded this video we're back and it got 223,000 views on his Rumble channel. Um, and it also got, you know, a lot of videos on his YouTube channel, but a lot of these views, you know, Steven Crowder is extremely, does very well on Rumble. Two months ago, 300,000 views, um, 533,000 views, 413,000 views, 325,000 views. This is even before like, okay, this is just him covering Twitter files. 352,000 views. So 
what this is, and here's one from, you know, Brittany Griner, 482,000 views. Right-wing content, or even mildly, you know, like my kind of content, which is just anti, kind of anti-censorship, anti-woke nonsense, seems to do pretty well uh, on Rumble. I mean, he has a million subscribers there, 1.15 million, I'm sure. Once he kind of announces it on his YouTube channel, that number is going to go up. And this is part of the thing that I'm trying to implore creators. Like, look, I know that YouTube has the money, but Rumble has the non-suppressive algorithm, right? Odyssey, BitChute have algorithms where people who are searching for your videos can actually find them. And there are other ways to monetize. There are other ways to pay your bills. For example, Steven Crowder has his mug club. I have coffeebrandcoffee.com. The more people, you know, so people watch my videos on Rumble. If you're watching on Rumble right now, you know, consider maybe buying some coffee. Crowder has his mug club. I want to talk to him about the future of monetization. I want to talk to him about ad reads because, you know, ad reads are certainly something that are a big part of my channel. They're important given the monetization um, structure that YouTube has, especially with certain topics. But also the question is, you know, from the mug club to the mug club, you know, people pay, I don't know what it is, $8, $9 a month. But how many people pay that and happy to see no ads forever? This is not something that somebody just starting out has the luxury of doing. But with his new system, with his new, um, you know, feeder for new talent, maybe they can get a piece of that. I'm curious to get out of him what kind of actual specs do creators who maybe want to be a part of his thing need to reach out to him? Right now, he's kind of loosely mentioned, um, hey, you know, these are some of the things we're interested in, some of those, you know, some of the other things. Um, but what does it actually take? You know, do you need 10,000 subscribers? Do you need 100,000 subscribers? Do you, is he looking for heavy hitters? Do you need someone with 500,000, a million? How much is he willing to pay me? Uh, you know, the, I think that it's a good thing. I think more competition is good. And I'm going to ask him about that. And I'm going to, I want to know a little bit about, um, you know, the, you know, how things are now with the blaze. Has he retrieved all his old customers, all his old mug clubbers? Um, it seems like he's doing really well. I mean, the idea that, you know, he's still getting three, four, 500,000 views on rumble. It's, it's 758,000, uh, views on rumble. This tells me that there are millions and millions of users on Rumble, which is extremely, extremely important. I mean, I have a Rumble channel, uh, and it's like the Crowder effect. Ever since Crowder joined, I think I gained another four or 5,000 viewers on Rumble. Why do you think that is? You know, like my videos now regularly get between two and 5,000 views. Here's one with 5,000. The more like political ones do better. The Twitter file stuff does good, does good. But like, here's one from two days ago about TikTok. They got 5,000 views. And yeah, I mean, I have 111,000 subscribers there, but most of them are like people who are watching here on YouTube or maybe somewhere around. They're like solidarity subscribes, but not lately. Now it's actually going up. This video from two hours ago has almost 1,000 views already. I bet you it'll have three, four, five thousand. 5,000. This is the Crowder effect. 
So I'll be curious if they've shared any numbers with him about how that looks now. So I hope to see you Saturday. I'm going to ask him some, some of the questions that you ask down in the comment section down below, and uh, we'll have some fun. Now, it's uh, no it's no surprise that the left loves to um, kind of over-exaggerate, to, uh, you know, go a little bit wacky with uh, their uh, various outrage levels. But this particular story kind of is so absurd that it, it kind of changes the definition of words. Uh, this is coming out of Fort Lauderdale, but certainly not the first time we've seen something like this. Hit by hate. Fort Lauderdale police search for suspect who left tire marks on a pride flag embla emblazoned crosswalk. First of all, you'd have to prove that they never left a burner anywhere else and that it looks pretty clear to me that there are multiple tire marks in this. Uh, and, well, this is Florida. Some argue the incident was not hateful. It was literal tire marks on the road. I mean, am I, if, 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 you, if you pick a spot and you draw something that offends somebody and they drive over it, is it also hateful? A video captured on February 28th shows a black Ford F-250 leaving tire marks on an LGBTQ pride flag crosswalk. By the way, it shouldn't exist. Shouldn't be there. Government funds should not be spent on this if that's what they're doing. Uh, some media outlets are calling an act of hate. Well, I hate, uh, you know, the media. I hate uh, having this crap, you know, shoved down everyone's throat all the time. But I don't hate the people that are part of this group. The progress flag crosswalk was painted and revealed in mid-February. Here's the hit by hate when a man leaves. Hit by hate. A community hit by hate when a man leaves tire marks all over oh, no. a pride flag painted on an intersection. Residents around the area speaking out in disgust. Sevens, Danielle Garcia is live in Fort Lauderdale with more on the search for that driver. Danielle, good morning. Skid <laughs> marks. The community oh, no. here is saddened, as you mentioned, but they are planning to redo it. In fact, the cleanup process has already begun. This is what they're spending taxpayer dollars on, putting it on the road. And by the way, if you could put a pride flag on the road, why are there not, um, I don't know, what about the straight straight pride flag? You think that, how long do you think that would stay unsullied? Security footage showed a passenger recording the driver causing the damage and police are now searching for both vehicles. This is what police are, this is what the local police are worried about. Must be a really safe city to live in. Fort Lauderdale police chief, Lynn expressed concern about the incident and vowed to gather more information surrounding the vandalism. I'm not exactly sure what the vandalism is here. Tires leave rubber on the road all the time. Um, people do burnouts everywhere. Are they giving out tickets for that? Now, of course, a similar incident occurred in Delray Beach back in 2021. Cost the, the cost of repairing the damages for the mural estimated around $1,000. Why is it in the road at all? Put it in a, put it in a museum then. The incident gathered attention online. Some arguing that this incident was not hateful. It was literal tires on the road. One user argued, even if you don't agree with the flag being there, 
hitting a burnout deliberately, deliberately clearly shown over it is in fact a fa an act of defiance against the community, likely driven by anger or outrage against what the mural stands for. And I don't see how this isn't a community hit by hate. Another user countered, and if somebody painted, oh, here you go. If somebody painted a straight pride flag on the road, what would happen? And exactly. LGBTQ quote unquote activists, but what I mean is rich white kids would destroy it. Uh, it isn't hate, it's sick and tired. They aren't fighting against grown adults doing their thing. They're fighting against it being shoved into everything and calling it hate even if you simply disagree, they concluded. Another commenter said, being different and, and not actively supporting a political ideology does not equal hate. This is just an attempt to politically checkmate opposition. Unfortunately, people have been letting it work for too long. And, and a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of, there's a big movement in the conservative world now to just kind of treat fire with fire. And it's too early, you know, I have been, you know, kind of on the, you know, I've been nervous about that. But I mean, sometimes I guess you just let people do things for too long. There's like this line I saw on a YouTube clip. I think it was Mr. Inbetween or something like that, where like this guy's in anger management and he says, the, the therapist says to this guy, Hey, you know, the, there, you know, why did you, why did you punch this guy or something like that? And he's like, because he was an a-hole. And the therapist says, well, there are a-holes all over the place. And then his reply is something like, that's because everyone keeps let, letting them do that. Uh, and I mean, you want to put your flag up in your home? That's fine. You want to you want to make, you know, people drive over it in the in public? You know, I think that's a very different thing and people are allowed to protest that. In fact, one could argue that this is this gentleman's freedom of speech. The Fort Lauderdale Progress mural was repaired by a cleanup crew. And they're asking for tips. I mean, this isn't like, and what's funny is if you come here, <laughs> the Rainbow Flag Street in Fort, Fort Lauderdale saga continues. A group of young adults vandalized the LGBTQ flag with their bikes days after the city repainted the street because a man destroyed it with his truck. And Let's now see. there's even more video. The latest incident shows a group vandalizing the mural with their bikes. What One guy you... appears to stop and record the damage he caused too. What is the and damage? And now there's even more video. The latest what? incident shows a... What? <laughs> they put a skid mark with their tire? What is this? What is this? What is this? Why is the city using taxpayer money to vandalize the taxpayer-funded streets with political statements? <laughs> Become ungroomable. Yeah, shout out, kids. No, you can't just you can't just drive on the flag we painted on the street. And also, the length of that double line does not follow the DOT standard. So now you 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 might cause an accident there. You see here, one group wants to leave their mark in a public street, and that's okay. Another group wants to leave their mark on the street on this uh, as well, but that's not okay. More liberal hypocrisy shouldn't be there in the first place. If you don't want people to drive on your flag, don't paint it on the street. It's usually a crime to put drawings like this on the street unless it co corresponds with current far-left intersectional religion. Then the city does it with your tax dollars. I mean, what if somebody wanted to put, you know, their street pride flag or 
let's say they invented another, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, uh, there was a flag for homophobia or I, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a anti LGBT. I, my gender is anti LGBT. Would that be worth a flag that was painting? You know, all these type of things. So these people can't drive on a flag that's painted on the road where people drive. Oh my God, the horror. I can't people believe people rode their bikes over it. I mean, the, this is one of the dumbest. And like, I hope people keep doing it. I hope people keep throwing paint on it. I hope people keep uh, putting skid marks on it. I hope people keep, I'm not telling anyone to do that. I would never do that. But it's like, what is the point here? You know, like, why are you, I mean, like, are you kidding me? You're filming kids putting skid Good. A whole, a whole ruffian gang of kids. Is, what about these horses? What are we going to do about these? Mounted police force. Oh, they don't like the colour. They don't like the colour. <laughs> oh, brilliant, brilliant. They don't like the pride flag. <laughs> the animal kingdom knows. I mean, this is the, you know, animals can sense danger. I mean, Fort Lauderdale police searching for driver who defaced plague. Why is it on the street? Why is it on the street if you don't want people to drive on it? Every, you know, like, if this is what they're spending your tax dollars on, then I completely believe, or I completely support, you know, peaceful protesting. And I would think putting a little rubber from the back seat of your or back tire of your car, or your car or bicycle or tricycle would probably qualify as that. Hey, I hope you enjoyed the videos. If you want me to keep doing videos on Saturday, uh, please let me know down in the comment section down below. Uh, and if you haven't yet, please do subscribe down below. I'd love to see your comments on this. It's pretty hilarious. And we'll talk to you again real soon.